Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. So today on our Boys in Blue podcast, I'm coming to you from the city of Buckeye, Arizona. And I just happen to be seated here in the chief of police office in Buckeye Police Department. And the chief of police is Larry Hall, a longtime friend of mine, uh, known him for almost 20 years. We go back quite a ways. And welcome, Larry, to the Boys in Blue podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. You know, we go back a ways, and I think it'd be good. You probably tell the story better than I do. So you tell tell the audience here how we met and how with the circumstances. So uh, I worked for Mesa PD, and uh, your wonderful wife, Barb, worked there as well as a dispatcher. So uh, over the years, I got to know Barb pretty well. She was a great dispatcher. We had a uh, great relationship, and I got to know you through her. And uh, you even came, uh, you were a chaplain at the time, and you even officiated our wedding, my, the, my wedding to uh, my wife, Sabrina. You know, that was, that was uh, quite a privilege. You know, my wife always spoke so highly of you as an officer. And then when you asked me to uh, officiate your wedding, uh, that was quite, a, quite an honor for me. And I can remember specifically um, the beautiful wedding up there in uh, is it care, Carefree or Cave Creek? Which was yeah, that? Carefree. That was in Carefree. Carefree, Arizona. Beautiful wedding. And I've asked you before, do you remember the what we determined that was going to be the memorable point of that whole ceremony? Yeah, I would let you tell that story. <laughs> it was, you know, it's such a beautiful setting. I, can, I remember they had a harp playing. They brought in a professional musician to play the harp. And your wife is walking down the aisle. She's got this most magnificent wedding dress on. And, boy, I tell you, it's got this long, flowing, I guess they call it a train. Is it a train that goes <laughs> kind of behind her? Right, I think right. Might have been a couple of kids holding up the ends. I can't remember. But she also had this headpiece uh, that was connected to her hair, and it flowed way down. But anyway. One, I don't know what happened, but she got about halfway down the aisle and that thing fell off. And everybody was right. like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> they hurry up and grabbed it and they put it back on her head and she continued down to the front. And so I could feel the tension. Up, <laughs> And so I just immediately said, you know what you're going to remember of all the other parts of this beautiful ceremony? You're going to remember that had peace falling off and we're all going to laugh about it for years and we're still laughing so we are we are <laughs> that, that was it seemed like the sky was falling for her though uh, so but anyway you always uh, we always regarded you very highly as, as a police officer at that time you were a police officer in mesa police and now here you are the chief of buckeye arizona so yeah very, it's been a journey very briefly it has been a journey. Tell me which police departments you have worked for and how long for each one. 
I worked for uh, NYPD for about five years. I worked for Mesa for 11, and I've been out here in Buckeye going on 14. Wow. So you were a New York City police officer. I was. <laughs> wow. Wow. What were some of your assignments there in New York? Oh, um, well, I got out of the academy, ended up uh, working patrol for a couple of years, and then uh, went to a, uh, it was called CPOP at the time, as community police officer program. I went there for a few months, and then uh, I ended up getting selected for uh, anti-crime, uh, precinct level anti-crime unit, which is a uh, plainclothes detail, and you just kind of went after, you know, felonies, uh, you know, guns, uh, stolen vehicles, you know, burglary suspects, those types of things. So I spent my last two years doing that. Well, that must have been an easy job because I understand New York does have no guns. Isn't that true? <laughs> hey, back, back then it was the early nineties. We had the crack epidemic. It was nuts. So uh, it's it's a, the city's a heck of a lot safer now than it was then. Who's the mayor then? Yeah. Was it Giuliani the mayor then? Uh, the mayor. Um, it was Dinkins when I got there, and it was Giuliani as I was leaving. That's what okay. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it was Giuliani as I was leaving. And then uh, Bratton was the uh, police commissioner. Oh. Uh, yeah. And he, he he went back to New York eventually. He was over in L.A. for a long time. And, uh, yeah, so he was, uh, he, he, was, he was a good commissioner. Yeah. In fact, now I ride that police unity tour bicycle ride from New Jersey down to Washington, D.C. every year. In fact, you and me have met up several times in Washington, D.C., because you've been there uh, representing uh, Buckeye Police Department at uh, the Police Memorial Week there in, in Washington, D.C. And he, uh, the commissioner, yeah, he spoke there uh, to our group as we were taken off out of uh, New Jersey. Quite a guy, quite a history there. Yeah. Yeah. So New York, and tell me, first of all, what attracted you to law enforcement? I know you have a brother that was in the police officer also in New York, but tell me how what attracted you to be a policeman. Yeah, my brother was hired on 1985, um, and I was about 15 years old. And uh, he would tell me stories. He'd come home, tell me everything he, you know, everything he did for the shift, and uh, yeah, it kind of attracted me to the job. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, back in New York at that time, you could take the test, the police test, when you were like 17, because there was usually like a three-year waiting list before you could even get hired, and uh, at that time, uh, they had some money come in from the feds and they were doing a, a mass hiring. And, you know, by the time I was 20 years old, I was picked. I was in the academy. And I was when I got out of the academy, I was still 20. I couldn't buy any, uh, I couldn't buy any ammunition or alcohol, but uh, I could take huh. uh, I could arrest people. So it was kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. OK, so now your brother was uh, I met him at your wedding. Yeah, yeah, he did 20 years. Yeah, I think he got out in 2005. He's he's still retired and um, he's working uh, for a local uh, city in Phoenix, uh, doing it as a bailiff. He just wanted to stay busy. Wow, you know, and I still have a pin that he gave me. It says New York NYPD on it, New York Police Department. I still have that pin at home. Anyway, so how many years again were you with New York? Uh, just five. Five years. Okay. What brought you? What was transitioned you out to Arizona? Uh, one of the guys I worked with in my precinct ended up getting hired on at Mesa PD, and uh, kind of showed me how you know what real estate looked like out here, what the salaries were, and uh, you know back in New York, taxes, you know, uh, 
home values were expensive. Uh, we, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't making a whole lot of money. So, you know, eventually everybody wants a piece of the American dream. They want to be a homeowner and, and uh, raise their family and everything. And then I, I just decided New York wasn't the place. And uh, I moved out to, uh, well, I tested with Mesa PD and Scottsdale PD. I pretty much got hired at both agencies. And I just felt Mesa was a little bit of a better fit for me. And um, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was great. It was good, good experience. Now, when you were in New York, what borough did you live in? I lived on Long Island. I lived in a, a city uh, called Brentwood. Uh, it wasn't the greatest. Uh, it, it, it a little bit of crime out there, but uh, and I ended up working in uh, Queens. Huh. So, uh, but you know, when you're when you're new, um, they send you all over the city. Uh, you know, my first summer there, we had the Crown Heights riots. The second summer I was there, we had the Washington Heights riots. So they they would send you all over the place when, wow. when those wow. things would happen. Okay. Well, I've only been to New York once. Uh, and that was to attend a New York Yankees baseball game before they tore down the house that built uh, that Ruth built. <laughs> oh, in the they, Bronx. Yeah, it was the last year. Well, actually, the reason we ended up there is because it was right after 9/11 in 2001, and uh, everybody was afraid to fly, and the hotels were like 50 percent. Airlines were 50%, so we could afford right. to go. We went to Manhattan there, so that's the only time I've been, ever been to New York. But it was interesting going through. We took a little tour through the boroughs there, and, and I looked at those uh, NYPD guys, and, boy, they got their hands full in some of those boroughs, that's for sure. So you started out in Mesa, and what assignments did you have in Mesa? Uh, I worked uh, patrol mostly. I did a, I was a field training officer. I uh, spent about a year in their bike unit. Uh, I was a sergeant. Uh, sergeant, I was assigned a hiring unit for a little while. Uh, but it was, it, was a, it was a good career there. They had some great people there. You were on the uh, bike unit that like, did the malls in downtown neighbors? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was a central bike unit, which is uh, downtown, um, uh, downtown Mesa. I did that for about a year. I, I it was a big, uh, big fan <laughs> rolling around on a bicycle with a vest in 115 degree heat yeah. on day shift. You know, so if the, you know, sucking down water. After a while of that, I'm like, you know what? I, I just want to get my car back and check some calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's yeah. some guys who really enjoyed that unit. Guys really loved that unit. I just, it was, I had to try it. It wasn't my passion, but uh, I see. You know, I found that later. Wow. So now you had the opportunity to come out to Buckeye. Buckeye, Arizona. How many? Yeah. Uh, how how did that occur? Did they just have an opening for an officer, or what? Yeah, you know, uh, a few of us uh, came out from Mesa. I think there were about four or five of us that actually left Mesa to come out here. Uh, you know, it's a growing city. They were building homes, uh, and they they actually still are after the crash. We're actually getting back up to uh, pre-recession uh, home building. Uh, they build about. I think this year, 26, or rather in 20, 2019, they built about 2,600 homes. So there's a lot of growth. There's uh, They're going to be hiring a lot of officers. There's a lot of opportunity. So um, it was a rural agricultural community up until about, you know, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And the developers finally made their way out here from the urban sprawl, you know, and uh, we ended up, uh, I ended up coming out here as a sergeant and worked patrol squad for about a year. Um, had some experience as a sergeant from Mesa PD, so uh, ended up qualifying for you know to test for lieutenant. And about a year later, I was uh, promoted to lieutenant. 
So now just for the audience, uh, Buckeye, Arizona is all oh, probably what, 30 miles west of Phoenix, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, exactly. It's about 30 miles west of Phoenix and it's uh, it sits on the, You're going to get this 640 square miles. So they annexed all that land. Um, they're only 5% developed right now. Uh, wow, so wow. develop, you know, this is a 50 to 100 year development uh, out here. Uh, when I got here, population was about 28,000. And now we're at 85,000, they're mm-hmm. saying. And then um, in fall of next year, we'll be uh, uh, passing, in fall of 21, we'll be passing 100,000. Wow. Uh, so the city's the city is just growing uh, leaps and bounds everywhere you go. There's homes under construction. There's retail coming in. There's commercial projects on the horizon uh, that'll be coming in. It's a very very fast growing city. It's it's incredible. Well, now when you first got out here, was it 14 years ago? How many officers did Buckeye PD have? I think we had, it's about 45, 40 to 45. And how many is and, there uh, now? We have about 100 officers now. 100 officers. About 100. Wow. See, double. Yeah, constant growth. And you're continuing to grow. Only 5%. You got a lot of empty desert in area yeah, we got de- uh, desert. We have uh, this quite a bit of farmland as well, and uh, you know, infrastructure is really what the city needs. And then uh, they'll be able to, you know, continue on and move forward with more developments and more retail. And uh, and and the housing out here is fairly affordable. So uh, you know, it's uh, if you know they say in the Phoenix metro area, drive till you can afford it. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they're going to need to expand the freeway system. Yeah, that's right. Well, in fact, um, that's why a lot of people did move out here. I mean, I can remember people moving out here and then they didn't really contemplate what that commute was going to be like. (laughs) So they moved back. But anyway, uh, a lot of new industry going out here as well. So so this is an up and coming progressive police department. You've done a good job running. Now here you are chief. Were you appointed or is that elected? How's that Uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty much appointed to the position. Uh, it's not really a position I had aspirations of uh, becoming. I, uh, it's just it just the way the cards, you know, fell. You know, we had uh, a few years ago. I think I've been here. I've been chief about uh, six years now, and about wow. six years ago, the chief at the time stepped down, and uh, you know, and then I just was appointed, and that was it. But. Um, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting ride. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but the department uh, department got accredited uh, through Calia. It's, it's been a their communication center has been accredited. Um, the city understands, you know, the uh, you know the growth we're facing. So I was fortunate, uh, you know, on my watch to uh, build a, a an administration building, a, a substation, and also a second substation on the north side of the city. And uh, we're building a property and evidence facility right now uh, that should be open in a few more months. And we're looking at we're you know we're in the initial stages of building a uh, communication center. So it's so, uh, it definitely had some great experiences. Yeah, you've got in on the ground floor and could implement some of uh, things you've learned from other departments in that for sure. Now, as you look back on your uh, law enforcement career. What would you say was your most enjoyable assignment? Oh, 
I think uh, I think patrol sergeant is probably uh, one of the best assignments. I think that that's where you can uh, you have most contact with the uh, line level guys that are out there uh, putting themselves on the line every day. And uh, that job, I uh, that job, I truly enjoyed. Uh, and I've got I have some great memories in, uh, of that position. And uh, I spent some time on the uh, on the SWAT team as well. And uh, that was that was a lot of fun as well as a lieutenant over a tactical team. And that was a that was a great time. We had some great guys on that. It was yeah. fun to build that. Yeah. Most most officers I talked to, street time was <laughs> the most enjoyable. And I think uh, if you want to use seeing how it's. Uh, uh, if you want to use a football analogy, I heard a retired quarterback, Jim Zorn, he used to play for the Seattle Seahawks. And they asked him why he wanted to be quarterback because he was a defensive end or something. He transitioned over to quarterback and said, why did you want to do that? He says, because you get to be in on every play. When you're in patrol, you're not sitting there reading about it the next day. I mean, you're right there in the front lines. I think that's what most policemen enjoy the most when I mean, it's all said and done. You know, you have to promote for your own careers, but, you know, look back on the old days on the street, and that seems to be the where the real true war stories come from, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah I remember the new guys would be afraid to call in sick because you didn't want to miss what was going to happen that night, you know. <laughs> you know, I, you know, and that would be the best part with the guys, you know, bang out sick, and you'd see them a couple of days later, and like, oh, you missed a good night, you know, oh, what happened? And you get to share the stories of what, what you know, what transpired. I had I had partners that would come to work in a sling because they blew their shoulder out because they didn't want to miss work and the sergeant would have to send them home. They tried to sneak in there with their <laughs> one arm in a sling. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, dude, boy, yeah I, I think I've come back to work. Uh, I've come back to work a couple times a little bit sooner than I should have. <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, maybe wasn't quite healed up. So I, I've, uh, I've made those mistakes in my career. Uh, well, now, now that you've been chief, um, what is the most challenging thing you've run into being a chief? Mm, you know, uh, sometimes it's a uh, cultural change. Uh, that, that's a little bit, you know, uh, that, that can sometimes be challenging. Uh, you know, people are, you know, the one thing cops hate more than change is the way it is right now. And, uh, it's, <laughs> that's a saying, and, and there's a lot of truth to it. And, uh, you know, we're in a, we're in a pretty dynamic environment right now. We need to, you know, uh, we need to constantly, uh, look forward and, uh, try to, you know, do things that are going to be progressive. And, and that, that's, that sometimes is met with resistance. And, uh, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, things will work out, things will be okay. It's not going to affect your world that much. I mean, we rolled out body worn cameras about three, four years ago and, you know, got a great deal of resistance on that one. I'm like telling these guys, listen, it's going to be okay. Things are going to work out a lot better. And, you know, um, you know, you're going to be better protected. And, uh, you know, I had an officer come up to me, uh, a couple of weeks ago and say, you know, I'd, I'd rather leave the station with my body worn camera than my gun. And I'm like, well, I, I prefer if you leave with your gun first, <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know, cause there's some bad people out there, but, uh, and he was like, he's like, well, chief, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I understand. So um, the guys have been, you know, it's been protecting them from complaints. And, you know, one of the uh, unanticipated um, effects we've had of it was you've actually seen officers do some incredible things, some some heroic things. And, uh, you know, it's it's been documented on camera, which is phenomenal. And, uh, mm. 
you know, it, it's, 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 you know, so that, but there was a great deal of resistance to that. You know, the guys, the guys don't want cameras following them around and, yeah. you know, as police, you know, we hated that, you know, Yeah. but uh, ultimately yeah. at the end of the day, it's a good thing. Well, you know, Larry, I can say this, uh, not blowing smoke or nothing, but, um, you are a most excellent communicator. And I think that's what, when a chief doesn't make it, it's been my observation, my personal opinion, that they just didn't communicate with the guys uh, on the street about, okay, we're doing this and this is why we're doing it. And hang on, it's going to be okay. It's going to be actually yeah. better, you know? We're making a difference here. Yeah. It's not to punish you or follow you around or anything. This is going to be good, you know? And to communicate that, uh, I see the chiefs that haven't made it are just dictating a memo and it comes down and nobody ever explains anything. So I think you've done an excellent job with that. Yeah, inclusion is inclusion is very, very important. Um, we have things that go on in the police department at different projects and those types of things. And just because I have four stars doesn't mean I'm the expert on it. Um, you know, we're, one of the examples is that we're getting ready to uh, go to design on a communication center. Um, I, you know, I'm not the guy that's uh, an expert on, you know, designing communication center. I need input from our line level people that work in these centers every day. It's just, it's just common sense. Um, yeah, and I've seen people make those, you know, uh, or chiefs make those decisions out there. It's uh, where it's like, oh, well, this is how it's going to be, and this is what's going to look like, and that. And you know, you have to have a little bit of oversight on it to make sure we're, you know, it, it's it's fitting and, and it's within budget and those types of things. But uh, ultimately, you know. Uh, the people that are going to be working on that comp center really know what they need. Yes, you have to, exactly. You just have to, yeah, you have to listen to them. You have to, because I'm sure uh, even with Barb, your wife, you know, she works at a comp center for years. She knows uh, very well what, what a good comp center would look like and, and how things should, should roll out. Uh, yes, there's nothing, nothing worse for her than to come to work and say, oh, by the way, here's the software we bought and here's how it works. You know, right. <laughs> so, no input from anybody, <laughs> but right. I think, and what's, go ahead. And, and what's, what's important like to our line level officers is equipment. Uh, what's, what, what do they need for equipment? What do they need for, uh, you know, to protect themselves from, you know, guys with rifles and, you know, they have to, they now have to carry tourniquets and extra magazines for their rifles. And there's a lot of different things they need. So, you know, so we have a committee for that as well, a uh, uniform committee. Uh, tell us what you guys need. Tell us what, how you want this to roll out. And that's important to them. And sure. that's what morale is about. So it, those, those are little things that uh, really go a long way. Well, I think it's uh, beneficial for your – I think your guys are pretty lucky for the simple fact that their chief, Larry Hall, I mean, he's been on the SWAT team. Uh, you've been involved in – several uh, shooting incidents you know what that's like uh by the way now you how many shootings have you actually been involved in larry oh geez uh on scene uh, on scene i don't probably nine or ten or have actually been on scene uh that we've had and uh supervised probably you know or it was a responding as a sergeant or a lieutenant responded uh I don't know, a couple dozen, yeah. and uh, been directly involved in a couple. Yeah, and that's New York as well as Arizona. As yeah, as well as Arizona, yeah, New York and Arizona. Yeah. yeah. So 
when you talk about shootings and can you can relate to the guys and the guys know you've been there and done that and that you I think it's so important that they realize that and you communicated that you've got their back here. You know, I mean, been there and done that. That's so important, uh, rather than just an administrator. You know, you just you've got that yeah, there's uh, there's a certain level of um, uh, trauma that an officer experiences on the, on these events. They need to understand that uh, uh, you know you have to have a leadership that that knows. You hate to say the word. I, I know how, what you're feeling because we don't really know what other people are feeling at the time. But they need to be reassured. You know, um, we had a couple incidents out here where a bad guy came at us with an AR-15 or an AK-47 and just started lighting up police cars. And you know, these aren't. These aren't uh, situations that we can de-escalate. We have to, you know, those are situations we have to stop the threat. Um, officers did a, you know, good job in those those uh, occasions, and uh, you have to just constantly reinforce them. You know, like, hey, you had no, you know, in this specific case, you had no choice. You know, and um, you know, what can I do to help you? What can I help you um, recover? And uh, you know, go back to, you know you know, being a, being good officers and going out there and taking care of our community. So you want, you want to spend time and the most important thing is sharing information. You have to, as you get information, you got to get it down to those guys uh, as a boss, because uh, you don't want to leave them in the dark. And when you leave them in the dark, then their minds start wandering and you have to have, you have to have a lot of, a lot of dialogue, uh, with sure. them and, you know, let them know, Hey, the investigation's over. This is who the, the person was. This is what they're, you know, this is, is what the crime scene looked like, but after naturally after they have already done their walkthroughs and and given their statements and those types of things, you have to share information. They they don't you have to fill in the gaps for them, and I think that's important. And uh, you know, and I think that helps them recover quicker, and it also instills credibility in you as a leader that you know you care about your people and you're you're looking out. You know, you're looking out for them. You're trying to get them what they need so they can uh, continue on. Um, now that the next shooting could be around the corner. Sure, sure. Now, when you were during your issues, when you had shootings, uh, sometimes you were the shooter, sometimes you were just in on scene and commander and that sort of thing. What techniques did you use to come down from a hot call like that? Uh, you know, you just have to remember. Uh, you know, composure, uh, you know, especially in a leadership role, you just have to have composure and you just got to look at the facts of what's going on. Uh, and being in those incidents that, that, that I've had throughout my career, you know, critical incidents, you know, uh, you, you be, sometimes you become numb to it. And you, uh, so as, as you're, you know, evolving, you just have to think about what the people that are involved need. Uh, so, but for me to get amped up, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get a whole lot of amped up anymore. <laughs> you know, it was when I was younger. When I was younger, you would, you would do breathing. You would, uh, you know, try to clear your head, drink some water, and that type of thing. And and when those things happen, but uh, now, uh, you know, thirty years later, you know, I, I I try to always keep my composure and I try not to uh, get too excited about anything yeah. anymore. Uh, you know, one thing I learned is sometimes. Uh, you know, as as a leader, as a boss, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call a supervisor, you, you can't control what's occurring a lot of the times, but you can control how you behave and how you react to it. And uh, I think you know, if you ever look at some of our military uh, leadership, where you know there there you know there's gun battles and things going on and people being shot at, and they're calm as could be, and 
hey, calm down on the radio. Tell me what you need. You know, that's that's really what where you, what you need to. That's where I, I personally think some leadership needs to be. And uh, and don't get too upset about things. You can't control things that are, that have already happened. You just control how you respond to it. Sure. And it's been my experience, and I think I hear what you're saying. Is it's kind of a mindset too that you know. Um, I think we talked earlier that one of my missions, uh, even on this podcast, is to uh, counter that uh, distorted narrative that being a policeman is such a burden. Oh my! And when in fact it is an honor to be able to protect and serve. And I don't think uh, sometimes that's communicated to line officers who see just one negative thing after another, uh, but they don't realize that there's people that go to bed every night safe and secure in their homes because they're out there. The policemen are out there uh, protecting and serving. And they 99.9% of the citizenry uh, love policemen, uh, just on their side at 100%. And uh, I think that's so important, that mindset that, hey, this is an honor to be here, that these people put their... Uh, lives in my hand to be out here at night or whatever, uh, protecting and serving and keeping them safe. I mean, that is quite a privilege when you really think about it. It's not a a burden. That's something to uh, cherish and be as good as you can about it. Live up to that uh, status and that honor that's bestowed on every police officer. Um, Absolutely. I think that's that's always been a real thing for guys to remember. Hey, I'm appreciated by a lot of people. Yes, they... You know, you get second guess six ways from Sunday sometimes, but not by the normal citizen. They're saying, what took you so long to shoot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that has happened. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, a of- that's, that's, a, that, that's a great point you bring up, Bill, because, I, you know, I, I, I run into some of uh, some retired officers and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just happy to be out of there. And. This and that, and then uh, you know the toughest part of being retired, uh, sometimes from the job, is uh, they say you, you miss the clowns, but you don't miss the circus. And you know, for for a lot of retired guys, I have a friend of mine who's fairly negative about the, you know his career and everything like that. And it's like you know, I kind of told him, I was like, listen, you have had experiences that a lot of people wouldn't have experienced in their life. You know what? Guess what? You experience some trauma along the way. These things do happen. They say police officers, you know, experience more human tragedy in the first three years of, uh, or within three years of, of being on the job, than most people experience in a lifetime. But that also comes with uh, the facts, you know, some of the great things that happen in life. You know, you, you maybe you worked homicide and you were able to take a, uh, you know, a predator off the street, or you worked sex crimes and was able to put somebody who was. Um, victimizing children away or you're just able to get that guy those that crew that was doing an armed robbery and you took them off or maybe you pulled a kid out of a pool and was able to save that kid there's a lot of positives that go with that yeah you're going to experience trauma yeah these things are terrible that happen but you know for your friend that you know i got a buddy of mine who you know punches you know has a time card he punches it every day at a factory um and he's just you know, he, you know, and uh, he just doesn't have the desire or will to to change and and do something different. But I know I was uh, I've experienced uh, you know those things in life, and I get to take some of the good and I take some of the bad with me as I as I go off to the sure. twilight of my career. Sure. But um, but yeah, absolutely, there's some honor in this, and yeah. you know, some of our new guys that start the job, they're like, you know, what you know, what uh, brought you to this job, and 
well, I, you know, I, I, I'm just attracted to it. So, you know, maybe, just maybe somebody, you know, you, maybe you're not picking the career. Maybe the career is chosen for you. But that might get into some higher power uh, conversations. But that's what <laughs> I feel. Uh, I, I feel, you know, we're all put on this earth for one reason or another. And uh, and uh, some of our guys that come out here and do the job, I think they, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, I believe they're drawn to that career by higher power, and that's just how it how it how it happens. And I think uh, you do hire the wrong people. <laughs> well, <laughs> on the you know, flip we, side of that. we talked earlier that uh, being a police officer is almost a calling. Uh, it's it's surely not for uh, the pay and benefits. I mean, when I started, I took a pay cut to become a policeman just because. And I'm sure. looking back on it, it was absolutely a calling. Yeah. So now, if you had. Uh, I'm sure you do this. You probably have these conversations. If one of your rookie officers came to you and said, Larry, what kind of advice would you give me uh, for fashioning my career? What would you tell him? Well, the problem with the job is sometimes it's unpredictable. Uh, sometimes we're, you know, we're thrust into situations where we can get hurt. We can get a medical retirement, uh, you know, tragedies do happen or sometimes you can make it a full 25 30 year career and walk away and uh my whole you know my feeling is is if you're going to get hired on the job you know have a plan uh, i think education should always be a part of that plan i think if you you go in and you get a get a degree and uh with something that you, that you enjoy or something that you want to do uh, when the time comes. But you have, uh, you know, you, you walk out of the job with a skill set, whether it's in five years or whether it's in 25 years. Have a skill set, have something uh, to help you transition because nowadays uh, officers are getting hired on at 25, 30, and they're leaving at, you know, 50, 55, and they still have time to do another career. They still have time to do, you know, uh, you know, a, a, you could be a teacher. There's a million different things you could go out there and do, but sure. develop that skill set. And, and and while you're in law enforcement, there's a lot of different things to do. You know, uh, there's a lot of different um, career paths. You'd be a canine handler. You could be a uh, you know a detective. You can work in the traffic unit, and do collision investigations. You can. Uh, there's just a million different things, and those sometimes those you know those positions can transition into the uh, private sector. And Absolutely. Uh, you have to think about yeah. that. Yeah. Sure. You yeah. have to, you know, and that's, yeah, but have a plan. Don't just go, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to punch the clock for, you know, <laughs> you know 30 years. And, no. and I, you know, I, I, the guys that are out there that are doing the job right now and you're patrolling the same, you know, I, I, my whole thing is my fear was patrolling the same five square miles uh, for 25 years and then saying, okay, I got my pension. I'm out. You know, no. I, I, I didn't, I didn't want that. I wanted to experience no. different things and, Sure. Fortunately, I was able to do that here. Yeah. Well, well, that'd be good advice for any kid, you know, and I, I don't know when you first started, Larry, I was just so happy to be there that uh, uh, it took me a while to realize that I need some other skills besides just being a police officer, which you're always uh, increasing those skills anyway. But uh, young guys just starting out, they do need that uh, mentor to kind of guide them along. Hey, let's look at the long term. I mean, we're having fun right now, and this is a great job, but <laughs> let's think a little bit down the road here. So that's always good advice and good to have mentors, that's for sure. So now that you're a chief and you've had, you've had quite a career and, uh, with all the different assignments in that. Now, Larry, 
you've had some kind of life-changing medical issues. How is that? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel comfortable sharing? Uh, just a oh, yeah, bit yeah. That? yeah, that's fine. Yeah, sure. So I, I got it. Uh, I went to uh, just a, a check up with my doctor and, you know, I had a high PSA. This is about, this is almost uh, nine, 10 months ago. I went in there and he says, hey, you, you got some problems. You got to go get it checked out. And sure enough, um, you know, I've had uh, hereditary uh, issues in my family, genetic issues with uh, prostate cancer. And sure enough, that, that's exactly what I had. Uh, I lost my dad to it and my grandfather to it. I'm sure my great grandfather was lost it to it. But um, uh, ultimately, yeah, I got diagnosed with that and, um, you know, opted for some aggressive surgery because, you know, I was still fairly young and uh, wanted to, you know, get it handled. So it was uh, definitely a, uh, a challenging summer because uh, uh, I had a prostateectomy and then had part of my bladder uh, removed. And uh, But initially on, early on, um, uh, when I went to see an oncologist, because uh, they thought it might have spread, you know, uh, got some, got a couple different diagnoses, and one of them was like, "Hey, you got about three to five years," and uh, and I was like, "Whoa, wait a second, you know," and uh, you know, I reflect a lot and said, you know, I probably wouldn't have done anything different. I wish I traveled a little bit more, um, but ultimately, uh, I got in and uh, got in with a a good uh, medical team and. Uh, got the surgery done and uh, been going back every three months and so far I'm pretty clear. So I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm off the three to five year program. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, there you go. yeah. And, uh, but it, it was definitely a struggle. Um, uh, you know, I've definitely uh, feel bad for, you know, dragging my family through it, but you know, it's one of those unpre unpredictable things, but I thought I'd be a little bit North of 50 before I was, uh, before I had to deal with those issues. I knew they were going to come, but I, I thought I had some time and, and uh, that's one thing I learned. I just I just didn't have time, and uh, so. But hey, I'm well, okay. You know, uh, it, it's I guess it's a blessing in a certain way. You know, I got ahead of it, and uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, I stick around a little while. Sure. You know, it uh, definitely gives you a new perspective on life and what's important. Um, and I'm assuming that's changed somewhat for you. Now, I was talking to another officer the other day that had. Was in prostate cancer, but cancer. And when I was a hospice chaplain, and I will say this, I, first thing I would say to, to folks, uh, I've been doing this for a lot of years as a hospice chaplain, but I have no idea what you're going through. I'm not the one that got the phone call. And I'm not the one that was told that, you know, uh, you have a, uh, a pretty serious diagnosis here. So that does... Uh, I'm sure. Now, like I say, Larry, I don't know exactly how that was, but to get that phone call and deal with that must have really given you a new appreciation for life. And and I'm just glad to see that um, you're back in the saddle. Here you are in uniform and uh, leading your guys. And I think that's a good thing. No, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it it, it does. Um, it gives you a little bit of a perspective. But if if you know. You know, I really felt bad for my family because uh, that, that's really where my, you know, on this specific case, that's where my mindset was, was just in my family, like, oh, God, what are they going to do? I got to make sure, you know, uh, the make sure they're yeah. going to be okay and that type of thing. Yeah. But, you know, for me, I joked around uh, through the whole thing because uh, I have a, you know, being in law enforcement, I, I know you feel the same way, Bill. Sometimes we develop a little bit of a twisted sense of humor that maybe the civilian populace won't, won't understand. But, you know, I tried to I tried to laugh through the whole thing because it was like, hey, you know, again, it's nothing I can control. It's just how I react to it. Boy, that's... And 
you know, I didn't want to be that guy that was like, uh, you know, all depressed and sad. And, you know, a lot of my staff didn't even know until I said, Hey, this sure. is what I got yeah. going on. So it's been a few months and it's kind of been weighing on me, but I just want to let you know. And, but you know what, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it turns out, um, I was fortunate. It didn't hit the bones, uh, which is what one of the doctors thought that's that gave me that diagnosis. Well, I tell you, anyway, it all worked out. I think that, uh, your mindset of, you know, I, the only thing I can control is how I react to things. That is, that's so important in mindset. And I think that's uh, even before your medical issues, that's brought you a long ways. And that's why you're chief now. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful <laughs> mindset. And to, to carry that over to your men, I think that's a phenomenal challenge. And, uh, but Larry, you know what? It's been a joy to have you on the Boys in Blue podcast. Now, with your career and all the assignments, uh, you're one of the guys that I demand that you commit to doing a part two on a podcast at another time. To, we haven't even talked about New York <laughs> <laughs> or what it was, or yeah. some of those issues you were in or the assignments you've had. But um, can I get you to promise and commit to me that uh, another time you'll come back on the podcast? Absolutely, Bill. Okay, well, listen, Larry, thank you so much for sharing with us, and we'll be in touch with you. Sounds like a plan, Bill. Thank you All so right. much for thank having you. me. You bet. You bet. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.